Before I start right into the series, um, I want to just bring something up. There was on your program, there was a little announcement about we're looking for translators and uh, others that can help with uh, translating, you know, Spanish and English and so forth. We're, we're kind of excited that in the month of October, we're going to be uh, preparing some, to use some equipment in here, some translation equipment. We hope by November to have all the bugs work at it and be full, full force, but uh, if, if you're bilingual, we would really like to talk with you. There's a lot of different slots because it's not just translating the live service that we need. We need that too. But then as these folks want to get plugged in and they want to learn more about things, they're going to need people that can help with the language barrier again. So um, we're, we're really excited that, that we might have this opportunity to um, be a channel of God's grace to the Hispanic community. So notice that advertisement. And if that affects you, please uh, let us know who you are. Let us talk to you. All right. We're in a series called content discontent and the idea is that there's a very thin line between the two uh you and i if you're anything like me at least you can go from being very content to being very discontent in a very short period of time it doesn't just you know it doesn't take very much a little change in circumstances and so forth so last week we learned that uh there's actually a healthy kind of a discontent if we're discontent with our society our world as it presently is that's actually healthy and it's unhealthy to be content with things as they are because things are not the way that God created them to be nor are they the way that he's going to bring them to ultimately. Today we're going to learn uh, there's another healthy discontent <laughs> and this one might be a little less comfortable. Discontent with ourselves. That actually can be healthy and it doesn't have to uh, fester inside of us with this feeling that, that we don't feel good about ourselves. You, you can actually feel quite good about yourself and be very discontented with yourself if you're looking at this thing through the, the prism of God's word and the way that he sees us as well. Let me start out by sharing a story of a guy who worked very hard and accomplished something three, time, three years in a row. He was a champion. Uh, his name is Jeff Miller. And Jeff Miller, uh, here's his fellow competitors. You might wonder, what are they competing for? Jeff is the guy closest to us. Well, they're competing for the Couch Potato Award. ESPN out in Chicago, they give a, you can see that his last great victory in 2010, they gave him a big potato. Now, how do you beat that? But um, he spent 72 straight hours, no sleep, watching ESPN around the clock. It's three days straight. And he had three bathroom breaks a day, so he really had to time those out well. And, of course, he could stand up for five minutes every hour. But what an achievement, Jeff. Let's, uh, let's give him something. <laughs> now, doesn't take a huge risk to think just maybe, just maybe Jeff has an insufficient vision for his life, you know? It's a safe guess, I think, not to pass judgment on Jeff by any means. So... The problem with this is that it's not just Jeff um, that has an insufficient vision for their life, but, but to be very honest about it, let me share a statement with you. Many, many people lack a sufficient vision for their lives. Not a few, but many. Jesus said something in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He said, you know, uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, notice he said he hit the majority, many there are that go in on that, the road that leads to destruction. Then he says, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few, he said, few find it. Indicative that, that many, the majority of people that we work with, the smart, the intelligent, the bright, the kind, and everything in between, that many of them, they lack a sufficient vision for their life. Now, some of you are thinking, well, well 
I think I know what you mean by sufficient vision, but I'm not exactly sure. What, what do you mean by sufficient vision? Let me add to this. It's the supreme life-shaping purpose of our lives. When I say sufficient vision, I mean this drives everything. It is our ultimate motivation. It is the supreme life-shaping purpose of our lives. It, it molds us. It shapes us. It creates our values. It creates our priorities and, and all else in life. So we might call it not a vision if the word goal is helpful to you or, or aim would be helpful to you. Any of those terms would work. And maybe you're thinking, okay, but I got that, but why does that matter? What's the big deal? Whether you have a sufficient vision for your life or not. And by the way, all of us have a vision for our life. Right now, as we sit here, each and every one of us has a vision for our life that is driving us, motivating us, energizing us, shaping us. The only question is, is is it sufficient or insufficient? So why should we, perhaps as a way of putting it, care about having a sufficient vision? What, What does it do for us? What benefit does it bring? And here we have this. A sufficient vision will enable you to stay motivated and enthusiastic in, what does it say? Any circumstance in life. That's big. Right up until how long? Your last breath. A sufficient vision will keep you and keep me motivated and enthusiastic. And let me tell you something. When it comes to the quality of your life and my life, staying motivated and being enthusiastic is huge in the quality quotient of our lives. And so a sufficient vision is able to keep us motivated and keep us enthusiastic through every season in life, the lowest low, the highest high, and it's able to keep us in that state of being motivated and enthusiastic until we take our last breath. That's pretty big. That's worthwhile considering. And, and so maybe the thought is going through your head now, well, I wonder, I wonder what a sufficient vision is. Or I wonder if I have a sufficient vision. And if it's not going through your head, I would hope that it would be. Or at least by the end of the message that it would be. So what I want to do now is, is let's take some time and let's look into the life of an individual that when we peek into this period of his life, he has now been following Christ, a follower of Christ, for 27 years. He would follow Christ 32 years in total, and then he would be executed. He would be martyred. He would have his head cut off by Nero because of his faithfulness to Christ. Now, the only reason that he wasn't crucified is that he happened to be a Roman citizen, and so you couldn't crucify a Roman citizen. So we're going to peek into this man's life after 27 years of following Christ. We're going to listen into his heart because the Spirit of God wanted us to hear it so that we could see what a sufficient life vision is like, what it it is, because that same sufficient life vision is meant to be your vision. It's meant to be my vision. It's meant to be the vision of every human being. And anything less than this particular vision is an insufficient vision. It will break down. It will leave us disappointed. It will leave us confused. I don't know why that's happening. Uh, the worst part is, is we just, just bought a new headset. Is it me? It's not me. Somebody else is doing it. Okay, I see your hand waving, but I don't know what that means. I just, just kind of see this. All right, all right, we, all right, keep talking. I heard that. Maybe you better give me the handheld. I don't know. Yeah, every, it seems like every time I move. Ah, it's all right. Taylor? 
turn this on. Oh, okay. So I guess the key is I, I'm not supposed to move. If I don't move, it won't make any noise. All right. Um, I've completely lost my track now. <laughs> so we're going we're to do, we're going to take a peek in to this man's life and see what what his sufficient vision was. And an insufficient vision, like I was saying, it'll break down. When you reach some of your goals, if your goal or your vision is insufficient, once you reach it, you have nothing left to motivate you or keep you enthusiastic. Plus, it doesn't keep us developing at the highest level we're supposed to. A sufficient vision will cause you and I to continue to develop to reach our full redemptive potential in Christ. So with that in mind, let's turn to the book of Philippians uh, it's page 1,325 in the New Testament. And if you don't mind turning there, because we're going we're to look at about seven verses there. And here's the Apostle Paul, uh, 27 years into being a follower of Christ. And he's writing to a church that he himself had planted, writing to the followers of Christ there. And uh, it's within that context that, that he says these words. And we're going to start in chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 10. He says, my aim, and we could say my vision, my sufficient vision, my aim is to know him, meaning Christ, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit. In verse 10, he said, my aim is to know him, and he used the unique word there, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and bear with me on this. Usually I don't do it, but this is one time it helps. There's two different words that in Greek, um, the word for know. The one is like, I know the ABCs. Just you're curious, how many know your ABCs? And I bet you learned it like me with the song. How many learned it with the song? I can't even go through without the song. All right, so, so you know the ABCs. That would be a Greek word, oida. Well, the word that's used here is gnosko, and it means something entirely different. And the word after it kind of tips it. It talks about experience. Gnosko knowledge is kind of like, okay, let's say you admire marathoners, and you know a lot about marathoners, and you study them. But you don't have gnosko knowledge of a marathoner until you yourself train and run a marathon. Now you have experiential knowledge of a marathoner. That's the word that he's using here. So Paul is saying I want to know Christ. I want to know what he felt like inside. I want to know what he thought. I, I want to know what he felt like when he was being crucified. I want to know what he felt like when he was suffering. I want to know what he felt like when he rose from the grave. Paul is not questioning whether he himself would be risen from the grave. In fact, uh, way back in the book of 1 Thessalonians, which you know, was written like 12 years earlier before this one, he says in chapter 4 that every single Christ follower will be raised at Christ's return. In the book of 1 Corinthians 15, the whole 15th chapter he dedicates to resurrection, that was written about seven years earlier than this, he says, again, every Christ follower will be raised from the grave. So Paul, Paul is not questioning his resurrection. He's saying, I want to experience it now while I'm alive and I'm breathing. I've been following Jesus for 27 years. I want to know, I want to know that life that he felt like and experienced when he rose from the grave. He wanted to experience it right now. Let's go on. Verse 12. He says, not that I have already, what does it say? Attain this. He's acknowledging after 27 years of following Christ, I still haven't attained it. That is, I have not already been perfected. The word, um, again, Greek word, teleos, it's the idea of 
brought to completion, brought to maturity. He says, I, I, haven't, I haven't reached it yet, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let those of us who are perfect, and again, it's that word teleos, mature, complete, embrace this point of view. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you the error of your ways. Nevertheless, let us live up to the standard that we have already attained. Then he says in verse 17, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us as an example. So here's Paul, 27 years after following Christ, and by the way, his conditions, when he, when he wrote this particular book, he's incarcerated. Uh, you can read in Acts chapter 28 about the incarceration. He was at times chained to a Roman guard. At times, he was able to receive guests in a house to visit him, but he was under house arrest. So he's, he's imprisoned, and he's not really sure of the outcome, because in chapter 1, verse 21 and 23, he, he actually says, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to continue living or if I'm going to die. He says, but for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says in verse 21. In verse 23, he says, I'm torn between the two, whether to depart and be with Christ or to stay here. He says, to depart and be with Christ is far better. This was a man who had no, no uncertainty whatsoever about his destiny after death, like I said, or about his resurrection. So he's not in good conditions. He's in jail. He's uncertain of whether he's going to live or die. By the way, about five years after this, he's rearrested by Nero, and he is executed. He does have his head cut off, as I said earlier, because of his faith in Christ. But he says the thing that mattered to him most, not certain of his conditions, he was not in a great situation. How many would agree it is not a great condition to be in jail? Can I see your hands? Can we agree on that? <laughs> and yet it was really good for you and I that he was in jail. Because if he hadn't been in jail, we wouldn't have a book called Ephesians in our New Testament. And we wouldn't have a book called Philippians in our New Testament. And we wouldn't have a book called Colossians in our New Testament. And we wouldn't have a book that you've never heard of called Philemon in your New Testament. How many have read Philemon? All 15 chapters of it. Oh, I got you. It's only one chapter. <laughs> but uh, he wrote all those. The Spirit of God used that time, we might call it difficult time, uh, to preserve some of the finest teaching about God and the truth about life that we have today. So he says in the midst of this, though, that the thing that kept him motivated, the thing that kept him enthusiastic, the thing that he was passionate about, the thing he said that is characteristic of a healthy, mature Christ follower is this desire to be just like Christ, to, to know him as completely and as intimately as anybody possibly can. Now, he says this same thing to us in another one of the books that he wrote from this particular incarceration in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and it goes like this. Now, if you were to read verses 11 and 12 that go before it, it talks about a teaching team, and it says this teaching team will continue to develop God's people, and then it picks up, this will continue until we're united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Okay, we got that part, but it's the second part I really wanted to bring you to. Then we will be mature. But what is maturity? Just as, what does it say? Christ is. When I'm all grown up, when I'm mature, according to this, 
I'm going to be just as Christ is. And we will be, what does it say? Completely, what does it say? 50% like him, right? Nothing like him. <laughs> Completely. How many of you have ever heard uh, talk, you know, we, we, we Christ followers, we talk amongst each other and say, well, yeah, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, you're not, you're not ever going to be perfect. You just never, you just forget that. You're just never going to be perfect. How many of you ever heard that kind of conversation amongst Christians? And we hit that target, don't we? We are perfect in hitting that target. If you shoot at the ground, how many believe with no experience at all, you're going to hit the ground? Can I just see your hands? Yeah. But this is a different target. It says what our target, in fact, ought to be is to become mature. And it tells us that maturity is to be like Christ is. And that means that I'll become completely like him. Listen, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, and that's who this letter was written to, it was written to people that were, were secure. They knew that God loved them. They knew that their sins were forgiven. They knew that they had eternal life. They knew that God had poured out and expressed his love fully to them in the sacrificial death of Jesus and in his resurrection. These were people that simply because they had made a decision to put their trust in Christ their creator and become his follower, they knew they were secure. They were not worried about earning or attaining heaven. They knew they were as sure as heaven as if they'd been there 10,000 years. But these are people that now, since they had the, the divine DNA in them by, by virtue of their trust in Christ, they now had this God-given capacity because of the spirit of God's indwelling in every single Christ follower, to become something that we could not become ever apart from Christ. The truth of the matter is, God cannot do anything for you or anything for me until I trust him. I cut off all of the, the blessings, all the power that he wants to become operative in my life until I trust him. That's why we say that salvation in scripture is based on our faith in Christ, our trust in him. And by the way, it's important that I say this. Some of us, some of us have been unfortunately very confused about what this thing called salvation is. You know, we, we kind of picture it. It's like a transaction, a business transaction, that if we say the right things or believe the right things about God or pray the right prayer, then he gives us this, this gift package, and the gift package is something called salvation, and it's all wrapped up with forgiveness and eternal life, and we think that that's the start and the finish of the Christian life. You know, you, you've got to get the package. You've got to get the salvation. You have to seal the deal, uh, have the transaction. But that's not scriptural. What, what salvation of necessity is, it is when we return to our creator in a trusting relationship. We, we broke trust with God in the Garden of Eden. It goes back that far. And God can't do anything for us until we return to him in trust. And so what salvation really is, it is the initiation. you got to get this. It's not a transaction. It is the initiation of a relationship with Christ our creator. It is an eternal relationship. I Turn back to God. I put my trust in Christ. The evidence is I become his follower, and I follow him now freely. I'm not following him to earn heaven or to escape hell, and I'm not following him because I'm afraid or of any kind of punishment or I'm trying to earn any kind of blessing. I follow him freely because I see something in him that, that I find desirable and wonderful and beautiful, and I follow him fully. I don't trust myself anymore my ideas about life. I trust him, and whatever he says to do, I'm going to do, and whatever he says stop doing, I'm going to stop doing it because I trust him. I follow him freely, follow him fully, and I'm going to follow him forever because my trust in him, it only grows after 44 years of following him. That, folks... 
And nothing less than that is salvation. It can take a millisecond to occur, the millisecond that you or I decide to put our trust in Christ and become his follower, but the evidence will go on every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, right into eternity. You'll see that as we go on with this a little bit. So Paul had this sufficient vision of becoming like Christ. Let me show you the way he said that same thing in another, this is another version of Ephesians 4.13. It says, this work must continue until, until we're all joined together in what we believe and in what we know about the Son of God. Second part's the emphasis. Our goal, or our vision, we could say, our sufficient vision, our goal, is to become like a full-grown man or person. And what does that look like? To look just like Christ and have all his what? All his perfection. Unless you and I, unless you and I have the right target, the right goal, the right vision, a sufficient vision, and there's the one and only sufficient vision, it will be impossible for me and for you to reach our full redemptive potential. There is, there is so much inside of you, inside of me, that when we join it together with God, that he'll catalyze it. He'll, he'll give birth to new, to new traits, new character traits, to new adventures. There's, there's so much more of you and so much more of me. We're, we're kind of like that iceberg where 70% is below the surface. But when we trust in him this way, well, he's going to bring that all to life. But we have to have that as our target. If we're aiming at the ground, we're going to hit the ground. Listen, if you make your goal that, oh, well, I'm not as bad as I used to be or or, nobody's going to be perfect, well, you'll hit that target, I can assure you. But that is not a sufficient vision for your life. Paul, after 27 years of following Christ, he said, the thing that matters to me most, I forget everything that's behind, all my achievements, all my successes, all my failures, I just want to, today, this day, in this circumstance, he was in prison, I want to be more like him. I want to know him more. That's an all-sufficient vision. You can't frustrate that. No matter what circumstance you or I find ourselves in, you cannot stop me from wanting to grow and to be more like Christ in that circumstance. If my relationships are all going good and everybody loves me, I can grow and become more Christ-like then. If everybody turns against me and my relationships are terrible and my heart is broken, I can still grow to be like Christ in that situation. If my vocation uh, is going really well and my economic situation is going really well, I can grow to be like Christ in that. If the bottom falls out vocationally and economically for me, that gives me a whole different set of circumstances, unique circumstances, I might add, to become more like Christ. If my health is great, I can learn to be more like Christ with that. And if my health fails and I go down to my last breaths I can learn to be like Christ in that circumstance too it is unfrustratable it will keep one motivated and energized and developing developing becoming more like Christ in any and every circumstance until our last breath it also by the way it keeps you in a state of unusual contentedness or contentment let me turn your attention you're in Philippians flip over to chapter 4 just a page And listen to the words of the same man. Mind you, he's incarcerated. He's not sure whether he's going to be executed or not. And he says in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be, what is the word? Content in any circumstance. I have experienced times of need. Notice that. He experienced times when he didn't have what he wanted. I experienced times of need and times of abundance in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or, what is the word? 
hungry, have plenty, or what's the word? Nothing. I am able to do all things through the one, meaning Christ, who strengthens me. So this this possession of a sufficient vision, it brings its own unique form of contentment, but ironically, it also immediately brings us into a form of discontentment. And so here's the thing. If I have a sufficient vision for my life, I'm going to be discontented but motivated, not because of who I am. I'm, I'm yet who I want to be, but because of who I now am. I now must know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm secure, I'm safe. You can't grow, I can't grow, you can't develop, and I can't develop until we feel absolutely secure. And when we put our faith in Christ, we're supposed to feel secure. And by the way, you can't grow and I can't grow authentically. We can't develop authentically unless we are being motivated by what I'm going to call, bear with me, pure desire. And what I mean by that is this. Is, is I don't want to be more like Christ simply because I think that's going to benefit me in some way or reduce my consequences in life. No, no, no. I want to be more like Christ simply because I have seen something in him that's so stunning, so beautiful, so amazing, so desirable, so intrinsically worthy that I can hardly help myself but to pursue him and want to be like him. Authentic growth has to come from authentic desire, not pressure, not not legal pressure from any form. And then authentic development can really take place. So let's listen to some more words to get a little more clarification about what this whole thing with uh, having a passion to become like Christ. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said, if you continue to what? Obey Obey my what? Teaching, okay? It's not enough to have his teaching. Obey his teaching. If you continue, meaning this is a lifelong pattern, if you continue to obey my teaching, you're truly my what? Now, we can reverse that and say, if I'm not really obeying his teaching, if it is not a continual pattern in my life, I might be calling myself his follower, but I am not following him. Does that make sense? So, so, so the acid test Jesus said, I didn't say it, Jesus said it, that I'm really his follower is that I'm continuing to obey his teaching. And now Jesus said this in Luke 6, 40, and this is really wild. He says, no disciple or follower is superior to the teacher. But when fully trained, fully trained, every disciple will what? Be like his teacher. Who's the teacher? Christ. It's Christ talking. Let that sink in. Christ is telling to every one of his followers. His followers, the first ones, were right there in his face that day. When he said these words, and he's saying, when you're fully trained, guys, you're going to be just like me. Why have we lowered our targets so badly in church world? Why do we say, hey, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven? Why why do we lack a sufficient vision? I mean, why aren't we pursuing what Jesus himself said? We should be trying to attain the full development of Christ himself. He said that when we're fully trained, we will be. Why should I look at somebody else and say, well, well, they still sin too. They still sin too. Nobody's perfect. What does that gain anybody? So here's Christ. Let this sink in. He's saying that when we fully are trained, and training is different than just learning. You know, that means that my, my habits have been, you know, brought under control to be biblically obedient to God's word. When I'm fully trained, I'm going to be just like Jesus. We read the same thing in those other portions of Scripture. So that's the one sufficient vision for our lives. Now, the process is messy, okay? We all start pretty much a mess. 
And one of the things we say in here that I try to let ring in everybody's ears is that unless you and I are humble enough to do things poorly, we'll never be able to do them well. You have to be willing to try. How many know that when you first try any new skill, you do it poorly and it's awkward and it feels like, oh, I just want to give up and quit. Unless you're humble enough to do something poorly, but with the idea that I'm training with the intention of improving all the time. Unless we're willing to do something poorly with the idea of I'm going to continue to train until I improve at it, we'll, we'll never develop and grow. Listen to the process in Ephesians 4. And it is a messy process. Here's that same Apostle Paul talking to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus. He says, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man or the old self, that old person that we were before we became a Christ follower, who is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful desires. We desired things that we thought were going to bring fulfillment, but they don't. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on, now notice the cycle, lay aside is the one part, putting on is the other part. And to put on the new man or the new self who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth, God's truth. So notice this process. I have to be willing to, to assess myself on a regular basis, and when I see the attributes of my old self, the person who I was apart from Christ, I have to put it aside. I have to, I have to try to rid myself of it. Simultaneously, I have to be cultivating Christ-like character development. How many of you know that unless you pursue Christian growth and development, you can sit in a church like this for 50 years and be absolutely the same, unchanged. How many know that's true? Because it is. <laughs> it's just like marathoning. You know, you can read all about marathons, but you're not going to develop or grow at all unless you actually start trying to run one, you know. So listen to how extraordinarily sincere some people become about this process of putting off the old self and putting on the new. And often we have to have help with it. We have to have others that can see things in ourselves that we ourselves cannot see, don't want to see, actually. I'm going to read to you something from a pastor in uh, Minnesota, and his name is Bob Merritt. I think we have a picture of him. Eagle Brook Church, Minnesota. is a tremendous church, uh, amazing church. But he writes very honestly and openly about a, a difficult meltdown period uh, in his own ministry. And I'm going to just have to read this so bear with me he um, he was overworked he says and he, and he felt overwhelmed and he said cracks started showing up in harsh comments outbursts of anger toward family and toward staff emotionally I felt depleted and afraid but I didn't have the time or energy to address the issues that were bubbling under the surface of my life finally <laughs> leadership team bear with me don't don't get ideas from this please Finally, his leadership team forced Merritt to look under the surface by entering a year-long intervention with a leadership coach named Fred. Fred and his assistant interviewed all of my family members. Think about this. Interviewed all of my family members, most of my staff, and all of my closest friends with a series of 60 questions that essentially asked, what's good about Bob and what's bad about Bob? The candid responses were recorded in a 200-page document that Fred and his assistant read back to me word for word during a two-day intervention. Let this sink in a minute. How many of you would just love to go through a process like that? 60 questions. Everybody that knows you intimately, what's good about you, what's bad about you, they're to write it down, and then 
These two people are just going to sit there and read it all back to you. You're going to hear it again and again and again. Okay, he goes on. Two solid days I sat and I listened while Fred read statements like, Bob overlooks relationships, lacks interpersonal skills, and working with people. Bob doesn't listen well. Bob doesn't manage his staff. There's no love. He's unapproachable. Bob speaks before he thinks. Uh, Bob has a love problem. I know that Bob cares, but he's not gifted in showing it. What really nailed me was when I heard these words from my son, David. My dad is angry a lot. When Fred read those words to me, he looked up from the page and just let them sink into my soul. I had to look away. Never in my life had I become so convicted over how flawed I had become. When you hear the same themes repeated over and over again from a variety of people who've experienced what it's like to be on the other side of you, it gets your attention. It broke me, and it was the beginning of my new life. When I started seeing Fred, I told him that I was afraid that I might not be able to change. Fred has seen hundreds of CEO types, and he says that the success rate is around 40%. The other 60% continue to stumble and often end up losing their jobs and their families, he said, there's one thing that makes the difference of the 40% that change positively from those that don't. And here's what it is. Those who turn the corner and take their leadership in their lives to a new level are those who are, what is the key word? Humble, humble enough to receive what? Feedback. And not just receive it, but take it seriously. You see, this, this process this change process that God wants us to cooperate with, it sometimes calls for pretty drastic measures that if I'm having trouble seeing clearly my old self, I may need the help of others, and I've had the help of others, believe me, throughout my Christian life that have helped me see my old self and still continue to do so, and it's never pleasant, but if we're serious, it's the only way that we can move forward on this is to see that old self, own it, and then actively rid ourselves of it. God will help us to do it. He promises to do that, but he wants us to, to want what he wants. Interestingly enough, here's a guy that doesn't come from the Christian perspective at all, and he, and he kind of is saying the same thing in a slightly different way. Uh, GQ magazine in 2015 asked Nick Nolte, what's the best advice you could give to anyone? And here's what he said. This is going to sound strange, but my best advice is to accept what? Losing. Sounds un-American. It's the grandest thing you can do. We as a culture think it's a terrible thing to lose, but it's only through losing that we what? Now, I wouldn't say only through losing, but I will say one thing. When you lose, when you fail, when you really are hurting because of your failure, it's a, re a really tremendous opportunity for growth uh, because rarely are we that motivated. But it's only through losing that we grow. We don't grow by winning, but our culture glorifies winning so as to accept losing is the opposite of everything we're taught. He goes on. Sometimes our greatest losses can become our most profound teachers. I'm not saying to you you should strive to lose or that you have to lose all the time. It's great to win. But a fair amount of losing is what makes us progress as people. And listen to the word that comes up again. You learn acceptance and what else? Humility. That's the second time we've heard humility. Bob Merritt said the ones that make it are the ones that humble themselves. Humility is, is the gold. It's, it's the soil that every 
Christ-like character trait grows in. That, that spiritual DNA that has been placed in you and I when we put our trust in Christ, what causes it to blossom and develop and grow is humility. Humility to take the long, hard look at ourselves and to do something about it. And then to start that, that difficult process that starts out slow and sloppy to become that more Christ-like version of ourselves. So, if I have a sufficient vision for my life, I start out by being discontented, but still motivated by who I am. But eventually, I get contented and enthusiastic because of who I know I will be. Listen, I, I'm the type of person, if I don't think there's any single chance of me succeeding in something, I just won't even try. For example, if you told me, Randy, I want you to just keep flapping your arms every day until suddenly you sail up off the ground like a bird. I'm not even going to try that. I just know that I can't do that. You say, Randy, I think if you practice really hard, you could learn to live underwater and breathe oxygen out of water like a fish. I'm not going to try that because I just don't think I could ever do that. So unless you and I believe that we actually, actually, me, you, with all of our crummy habits and experiences, with all of our scars from the past, that we still can actually grow, change Become more like Christ every day and in every circumstance. Unless we believe that, uh, we're not likely to experience it. But the truth is, you're destined for it. If you're a Christ follower, if you put your trust in Christ, you're destined. It is your absolute destiny to become just like Christ. Your unique self, but a Christ-like version of your, your unique self. Listen to this verse, the same apostle writing in Romans 8, 29. I'm going to have to explain a little bit of this for you. He says, because those whom he foreknew, God is outside of time. And it's hard for us to contemplate. So he knows the end in the beginning. And what it's talking about, those he foreknew, God looked down through the tunnel of time and he knew that if he sufficiently revealed himself to humanity, there would be those that would return to him in trust. He foreknew that some would return to him in trust and some never would. They would reject him forever. He knew it. And those that he knew would return to him in trust, he decided to do some things for them. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed or predestined to be transformed to the image of who? His son. Why? That his son would be the firstborn among many, what does it say? Brothers and sisters. Listen, if you've put your trust in Christ and become his follower, you are destined. God has destined, predestined for you to become like Christ. You cannot miss if you cultivate Christ-like character development in this life, you and I will progress and we'll just go from glory to glory to glory. In fact, Paul says that exact thing in this next verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we, he's talking to followers of Christ, with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord. It's an interesting word. It could be interpreted, or, or, yeah, interpreted as contemplating. So it's kind of like we're focused on the Lord. We want to learn about him. We want to become more like him. But at the same time, we're reflecting. It's, it's the idea that our, our lives become mirrors. Let, let, let me show you what I'm getting at. Um, how many of you guys have ever, you that are followers of Christ, how many of you ever had somebody, um, maybe somebody you work with or somebody around you that knows you, they, they say, you know, I don't mean to be offensive or anything, but there's just something, there's something about you. I mean, there's something weird about you. I can't, I can't quite, what is it? What is it that makes you so, that's a better way of saying it. Weird, there's two different kinds of weird. Um, there's something different about you. That's what I'm looking for. There's something different about you. And what they're, what they're suggesting is they're, they're seeing something about your conduct and your character they can't quite explain. How many have ever had that situation occur? Not, not, not the weird part. Maybe some of you have had that part too. <laughs> okay. 
what's happening is as you're growing and living your life more like Christ, you become a mirror that reflects Christ to them. And they are reacting to the reflection that's coming from your life, the reflection of Christ. If I could go back to that verse. It says, And we all with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. You see, as we're living according to God's word and will, and we're reflecting Christ's character more and more, it's, it's transforming us. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, you and I, every Christ follower, ought to be growing in every season in life, in every experience in life, right up into our last breath. We can continue. Paul was 27 years into the run, and he said, man, I'm, I'm fiercely pursuing it as much as I was from the beginning but he admitted he hadn't attained, but it didn't discourage him. Rather, it motivated him even more so. I want to close with a story that's told by a guy named Richard C. Halverson. He's, uh, he's dead now. He was the pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church down in Bethesda from uh, 1981 to 1994. And he was also, from 1981 to 1994, the um, uh, chaplain for the, the Senate. And he was fond of telling this one story to people to try to arouse uh, people's thoughts about life to take things more serious, and I'm just going to kind of read it, so bear with me. Halverson would say, you're going to meet an old man or an old woman someday down the road. It might be 10, it might be 30, it might be 50 years from now, but they're there, they're waiting for you. You'll be catching up with him or her. What kind of old man you're going to meet? Well, he may be a seasoned, soft, gracious fellow a gentleman who has grown old gracefully, surrounded by hosts of friends, friends who call him blessed because of what his life has meant to them. Or he may be a bitter, disillusioned, dried-up old buzzard with not a good word for anyone, soured, friendless, and alone. That old man will be you. He'll be the composite of everything you do, say, think, today and tomorrow. His heart will be turning out what you've been putting into it, every little thought. Every deed goes into this old man. Every day in every way, you are becoming more and more like yourself. Amazing but true, you're beginning to look more like yourself, think more like yourself, and talk more like yourself. You're becoming yourself more and more. Live only in terms of what you're getting out of life, and the old man gets smaller, drier, harder, crabbier, more self-centered. Open your life to others. Think in terms of what you can give, your contribution to life, and the old man grows larger, softer, kinder, and greater. It's a powerful thought, and it's a truism. You and I are always in a developmental journey. We're either developing to become somebody who is not who we were destined to become, not Christ-like, or we're each and every day making progress, and that that is a sufficient vision to keep us motivated and to keep us enthusiastic throughout life. Let me summarize this whole message one little sentence real quick. Let developmental discontent now propel you toward developmental contentment forever. Someday, we're destined, we're going to fully wear the image of Christ. We're going to fully be transformed to his image. And we will be totally, totally fulfilled and satisfied that day. But what you and I need to look at now is... There's tremendous opportunity for progress in all of our lives. But don't shoot at the ground. Shoot at the target, which is to become actually more like Christ. All right, closing couple thoughts.
Think about this first one very carefully. Do you have a sufficient vision for your life? One that will keep you motivated and enthusiastic in good times, bad times, everything in between right to your last breath. Question number one. Question number two. Maybe you are a follower of Christ and maybe you feel like you have a sufficient vision for your life to become more like Christ every day. But have you been maybe walking into circumstances without that question going through your mind? Maybe you've been looking at the circumstances like how pleasant they are Uh, how close to what you desire they are as opposed to what unique opportunity does this circumstance allow me for my progress to become more like Christ maybe that's what God would have you to kind of tuck into your memory today third question it could be to some of you you're transactional Christians which is to be not a Christian at all let me say it again you're transactional Christians, like I described earlier, which is to be not a Christian at all. In other words, you, you feel like you've made some kind of a deal, a business deal with God. You've said something, prayed something, believed something, and you think, you think that now he owes you something. Salvation is when you make a decision to put your trust in Christ, your creator, which means you're going to follow him fully and freely and forever. And maybe this is the day you're going to humble yourself, drop your religious facade, and you're going to become a real follower of Christ. And then you can grow. Man, you can change so much every day of your life for the rest of your life. Nothing can thwart, if you don't allow it, nothing can thwart your growth and your development in any and every circumstance. You can stay motivated and enthusiastic. Maybe this is the day for some of you to make that eternally important decision. Whichever the three it is, I I hope you'll just be humble, and I'll do the same with God, and uh, we'll let him start a, a good change process in our hearts now. Let's pray. Father, you know us through and through. You know what each of us need to to move toward action. So we pray that your spirit will just wrestle with us and, and not let us lose sight of this. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.